Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it'll help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory. Good morning. The first reading today comes from Acts, the fourth chapter. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Here ends the reading. Please join me in reading Psalm 133 responsively. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. As precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. The second reading is a reading from 1 John. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Here ends the reading. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the religious authority. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I have seen the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and placed my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have power, you will have life by the power of his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So first and mostly unrelated to what I'm going to talk about. Um, I think it's important to note that uh, the Gospel of John has a particular phrase that's repeated in it um, that has been used for a long time to denigrate and destroy our Jewish brothers and sisters. This particular translation does a, a ni- takes a nice step towards translating it differently. Most of the time when you read the Gospel of John, it will say the Jews, as though it's a monolithic group of people. It's complicated. Some other time I will preach on the community, the Johannine community, etc. But I'll just say this. Um, when the writers of John speak of the disciples being afraid of the Jews, it doesn't come across to all of us that they're all Jewish. All of them. The people they're afraid of, the disciples themselves, Jesus. So over the years, the way this gospel speaks of the Jews has fueled massive anti-Semitism, which is why I'm bringing this up. It's less provoking, more clear to say something like the religious authority, like I did just now, Translation is complex. Again, I'll talk about it some other time. There are ways to do it that's accurate and less hurtful. Anyway, years ago, sermon proper, years ago, when my son Jackson had just been born, all 11 pounds of him, yeah. My daughter Abby was four years old, and I was changing him in their shared room. Abby cracked the door open and stuck her head in. Um, And it occurs to me, I'm pretty sure I've told you this story before, because it cracks me up every time I remember it. She stuck her head in the door. She stage whispered, peace be with you. (laughs) And then went, ah. And then she closed the door and left. What in the world? And then I realized what was going on. I had been telling her various God stories, as she called them, and she was reenacting that resurrection appearance with Thomas. She and Jackson are both a lot like Thomas. They want to know all the things. How do chickens grow? What does it mean that a worm is hermaphroditic? Are the Star Wars people real in our world? They want to know, in the Bible, are these people real or are they just stories? Both. They want to know, at school we talk about how the earth took millions of years to get like this, and at church they tell us six days? Both. They want to know, are people good or bad? Both. Their brains are so big and curious, just like your kids, just like you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that glorious? That we can ask these questions? 
that we can ask like Mary Magdalene did, Jesus' body isn't here. Where is it? Or like Mary, the mother of Jesus, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Or like Thomas did, how can I believe he was raised unless I see him and touch him? Thomas gets a bad rap in the church, and I know I've talked about this before. We call him Doubting Thomas, with this sort of implied condescension. Oh, Thomas, don't doubt, just believe. It strikes me that that's a false binary. People across our scriptures ask questions, wonder if something can really be. They push back against God. Thomas was in pain. His friend of three years was dead. And his hope that Jesus represented a real change for the world had died. What kind of sick joke is it for the others to gang up on him and pretend they'd seen Jesus that night he wasn't there? It's so rude. So yeah, fine, sure, he's alive. Do you remember how he was crucified in front of us? Do you remember how they stabbed him in the side with a spear? Do you remember how Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea buried him with a hundred pounds of spices on top of him? Nobody's getting out of that easy. So sure, yeah, he's alive. I'll believe it when I see it. It's only natural. In the church, sometimes we have called that sin or apostasy or atheism. The desire to learn more, to understand what's going on, to understand the makeup of the universe that God made, the church has over the years condemned that, but it's a gift. Jesus shows himself to Thomas, offers his wounds for Thomas to touch and confirm with his senses. I'm not sold Jesus is criticizing Thomas when he says, do not doubt but believe. Maybe don't doubt any longer. Here I am. It's a plea to be seen. It's an invitation to Thomas to move away from his mourning. Maybe it's a hair's breadth difference, but maybe it's an important one. Jesus saying, don't doubt, is thrown around all the time. I hear it a lot from street preachers at UC. We throw it around to quell questions to identify who is in and who is out. Doubters apparently are out and believers are in. And just to be clear, I'm not ragging on believers. That's kind of us. I'm saying maybe there's nuance and complexity in what Jesus says. And maybe it's a false choice, doubt or belief that we have set up. The great playwright Václav Havel wrote, Isn't it the moment of most profound doubt that gives birth to new certainties? Perhaps hopelessness is the very soil that nourishes human hope. Perhaps one could never find sense in life without first experiencing its absurdity. And theologian Paul Tillich wrote, Doubt is not the opposite of faith, it's one element of faith. See, I think this story isn't about doubt or sin, it's about misery. The disciples in that upper room, afraid for their lives because Jesus was crucified, what was going to happen to them? And they're grieving for their friend and their teacher. They're miserable. Thomas doesn't believe them because he's so deep in his grief. And then with Jesus' presence and words and breath, they're comforted, lifted up even into this new understanding. Jesus breathes on them. And he reminds them, fills them with the breath of God. 
It's a story about comfort in the midst of tragedy, and it's not, it's not a naive comfort. It's not one that tries to wipe the slate clean as though nothing happened. Jesus arrives with his wounds clearly visible. He comes to them completely open-hearted, hiding nothing, offering everything. The Gospels are not meant to be weapons with which we beat each other up. They're good news. They are a fresh breeze when we've been cooped up for too long in this winter that won't ever end. They are a deep, deep breath filling our lungs and cleansing our hearts. Jesus gets frustrated, sure. He's not a fluffy lamb. But all his actions are from this place of love and are meant to invite us deeper into that love. This is the kernel of the gospel reading for me today. It's deeper than doubt. It's deeper than misery and comfort. Not Thomas, but Jesus breathing on them. It's weird, I know. Remember, though, creation. And God making the human being out of mud and breathing into its nostrils. <sighs> or the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. The bones rattle and then they're covered in sinews and muscle and skin, and yet they're still not alive until the breath of God is in them. Over the centuries, rabbis in the Jewish mystical tradition have said that we have mistranslated the name of God. When Moses asks God's name in Exodus, God says, Yahweh, and our Jewish brothers and sisters will often say Adonai instead. It's difficult to translate. We say it means I am who I am, or I'm becoming who I'm becoming, or even just I am. And these mystical rabbis notice that speaking aloud God's name, Yahweh, is this gentle movement of air in and out. They suggest God's name is our breath itself. With every breath we take, we are breathing in and out spirit. Each breath is the name of God. And that we die when we can no longer say the name of God. Jesus appeared to Thomas almost as a special visit just for him since he wasn't there the first time. And like the others, he breathes on him. Jesus reminds Thomas that he is filled with God's breath, even in the middle of his doubt and misery. Jesus shows up for Thomas and gives him what he wants, proof, and also what he needs, knowing he's loved and his sadness is not the end of his story. For us, misery is all around. You know your wounds better than I. We are greedy and grasping. We are willfully ignorant as we click past news articles Another unarmed black man being shot. Protests here and there. Corporations profiting on our info because of course they are. We just can't stomach the news. Much worse, we can't tell what's real and what's fake. We speak in terms of should and ought and how we're not enough. We yell at each other, paint each other with villainous brushes. We read the world and each other with eyes filled with doubt about everyone's motivations. We look, maybe like Thomas did, or like Mary, Jesus' mother, did, and say, what difference have you really made, Jesus? It's not all doom and gloom. 
But the misery returns no matter what we do. We put up walls to keep it at bay. It doesn't work. There's no way we can be like the disciples sharing the faith, even with our own children here. There's no way we can be like theologians speaking elegant truth. There's no way we can be like martyrs or activists content to sacrifice themselves. We don't know enough. We're not enough. Except that we are. We really, really are. We are all Peter in his exuberance. We are all Mary and Martha and Lazarus who loved Jesus like a brother. We are all Thomas who wanted more to go on and who crashed to his knees when he got it. We are enough because we have God's breath in our lungs. We are enough to share the overwhelming love of God as we understand it with with our children here in this congregation, with our friends, with our neighbors. Simply by breathing in and out, we are speaking God's name. We are enough because we've seen the face of God. We can show the people around us, whether they're sad or happy or undeserving, doubtful, successful, that we love them, that God loves them, whether they know it or not. So with whatever burden you have brought with you today to worship, whatever wounds you're tending, whatever you're struggling with in your own personal upper room of misery or doubt, there is new life coming It's already here. It's elusive sometimes, but it's here. New life can, must, should, and absolutely will come out of death. Jesus shows up in surprising places and asks for our questions, and this is not the end of our story. Grief and doubt and death do not get the final word. Jesus does. It's peace be with you. That's the good news. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, We would be most honored by your presence.